hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Sophia Banzoff, an actor and filmmaker you might recognize from movies like Closet Monster, Splinters, and Honeybee, or from her appearances in Bitten, Rain, Carter, and Murdoch Mysteries. She played a key role in Nicole Dorsey's haunting drama Black Conflux, which premiered at TIFF last fall, and at the same festival, you could see Sophia's own short film, I Am in the World as Free and Slender as a Deer on a Plane. Both titles were named to Canada's Top 10 in December, and I Am in the World screens with four other Top 10 shorts this Sunday, January 26th, at 4pm at the TIFF Bell Lightbox in Toronto. Sophia picked The Canyons, Paul Schrader's 2013 study of Los Angeles discontentment, starring Lindsay Lohan and James Dean as film industry habitués whose relationship is complicated when she convinces him to cast her ex as the lead in his new horror project without telling him he's her ex, which leads to all sorts of emotional and practical entanglements. Perhaps more famous for the stories of its chaotic production than for its own accomplishments, The Canyons had a very short theatrical run and now exists as a sort of phantom. It's not available on streaming services, so unless you can find the DVD or Blu-ray, there's no way to see it. Which just makes it more alluring somehow. This is someone else's movie. Well, first of all, I'm just so excited to be talking about it <laughs> with somebody. Sure. Because I feel like it's one of those movies that I've been loving for many years and haven't really ever found somebody who like shares that love for the movie with me. Um, I mean, first of all, like the the people involved, Paul Schrader, Brady Snellis, Lindsay Lohan, James Dean. Yeah. It's already such an insane grouping of individuals um, that, you know, by itself should already, like, sort of cement it as cult cult status. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of disappeared, hasn't it? Like, I was looking and I can't find it anywhere. I've I've seen it. Mm. Uh, The discs are still floating around in the world. But Mm -hmm. as far as I can tell, it's not even, unless I missed it, it's not even on iTunes right now. It's not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I illegally downloaded it. (laughs) No. Paul Schrader listens to this. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I couldn't find, in fact... Was that how you first saw it? Well, it came, so first of all, the the New York Times Magazine article right. came out in 2013, I think. Yeah, it was like six months before the film came out? Yeah, I think so. So that, I read that and I was like, this is, sounds incredible, I must see this. Then it had a really limited release at the Lightbox. Okay. I thought it played the... No, that's right. There was an event at the Royal, right, with the, seven, uh, with the seventh art. Uh, About the... Oh, really? The trader came out and he showed a clip or the trailer. The film wasn't finished. Right. But it was that year. Right. Because I interviewed him for it. That's right. You told me, And yeah. they were screening the restoration of Taxi Driver, but they used it as a tease for the canyons. Right. And that would have been in the spring. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, in August, the film finally surfaced for yeah. a tiny, tiny run. But I, so I didn't see it when it came out. Okay. I read the article. I was like, I got to watch this. Uh, then it came out. I didn't have a single person to watch it with. And then I was like, it just kind of passed me by. I didn't, I kind of lost interest and then it disappeared. And then um, a year later, I was like, oh, I remember that weird movie with James Dean and Lindsay Lohan. I wonder what where I can find that. Um, and then I watched it alone in my room on my laptop. And within the first five minutes, I just knew that I loved it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is it the, the montage of empty, desiccated theaters? Well, no, actually, right after the montage. And the this... first scene is that that scene where you see Lindsay Lohan wearing that insane makeup. Right. And, you know, for me, I, 
I kind of like grew up with her in a way. Like she's a bit older than me, but um, she broke out of her like good girl facade around the same time as I did. Okay. As a teenager, it was like the era of you know Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen just smoking. You know. Oh right. The, the like. So like all the, those tabloid the shots of them like smoking at street corners and like and like looking haggard and right the late two thousands where we all went to hell yeah that was those were my idols right you know I I started dressing in rags like wearing <laughs> crazy eyeliner and um, yeah so I think to some degree like it, I already had this love for her and and I wanted to see her thrive and I wanted to see her be embraced for this, like, person that she had become, which is to say somebody who's, like, very... Uh, unlike that sort of teen idol, you know, mean girls type of... Right. Um, virgin person. <laughs> yeah. No, she, I mean, it's true. We, it's It sounds weird now to articulate it, but she was the Courtney Love of her generation, right? Like, mm-hmm. when, when it went, it went. Yeah. And she... I guess Courtney Love never really had a squeaky clean phase, but... Yeah, no, she went through that baby doll thing, but it was... That was not squeaky clean either. No, it was yeah. just playing with... But Lohan sort contract. of severs ties with Disney and completely grows up in the space of 30 minutes in the public eye. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like. I mean, it wasn't a Britney-level self-destruction, but she was certainly... Like, she wasn't that person anymore and didn't want to be that person anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a conscious choice. Yeah, it was a slow but steady descent. Unlike Britney, which was just like, you know, suddenly she shaves her head and we all love it. Yeah, like Mean Girls. I'm trying to figure this out. Mean Girls is like 2003, 2004, right? Mm-hmm. And I Know Who Killed Me is 2007. Right. I remember that clearly. And then she did... But by then it was already happening. Yeah, 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 totally. And so here she is six, seven years later. Well, she did a couple of movies between then that were um, kind of bit parts. She had like a small part in Bobby that Bobby Oh, that's right. The Estevez film. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I thought she was great in that. Uh, And then she had another... She did something else. Well, she did Prairie Home Companion. Um, And then... Oh, of course, the Elizabeth Taylor biopic. Oh, that's right. The I Lifetime forgot, I forgot TV about that movie, one. which I thought she was amazing I, in. I don't know that I've seen it, actually. It's worth watching. Okay. <laughs> well, she is... This is the frustrating thing about any uh, actor who goes through the, the uncomfortable self-destructive phase. Like You are compelled to follow this person because they've already proven themselves to be a really interesting presence. Right. right? And... I just, I mean, I remember watching Herbie Fully Loaded because I had to review it and thinking, she's better than this. Yeah. Like she just, she knows this. You can see it in the performance. Like, she's yeah. sort of trying, but she knows she shouldn't be there. Right. And then she starts acting out and she starts taking charge of her own destiny, which is kind of played as acting out mm-hmm. because that's how you handle this. Like, everybody wants to force the story into an existing box, right? Totally. And then she shows up in movies where it's genuinely um it's not a provocation she's doing this because she wants to but something like the canyons is in conversation with her entire history Mm -hmm. right like i mean schrader said she had a marilyn monroe quality Mm -hmm. and and that he wanted to exploit but also Mm -hmm. enable it and all of a sudden i mean the only thing i remember about the canyons is thinking oh she still got it and whatever it is is really interesting yeah she's 
fascinating because she, as a person, seems like she has no self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And whenever you see an actor that has, like, lost their personhood to celebrity or, like, you know, just the circumstances of, of their lives. And I think she's a person that, I mean, she must have insane stories because she came of age in an era that, I assume, yeah. you know, just I'm sure, like, some fucked up things have happened to her. Um, but then to, to have this, like, lack of self-awareness and then still watch her have like a full grasp on her emotions in performance that's so compelling is fascinating yeah and this film more than almost anything else i'd seen her do before is about watching her yes it's about looking at her and letting her Mm -hmm. indicate whatever it is she wants to indicate or not Mm -hmm. it's, it's you know the whole Paul Schrader thing, like American Gigolo, like um, like Light Sleeper, you're watching people withhold from the camera, mm-hmm. and she's really good at that. Mm-hmm. Or she's giving out nothing, and we are assuming that she's really good at it. But I think it's conscious. I mm-hmm. think it's it's a, a directed performance that is what Schrader wants and is what she wants to do. Yeah, it seems like a performance that converges her person and the character perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I felt that from the first frame... That this was finally a movie that like embraced her, where she could thrive as the person she had become, and um, it, you know I felt I felt like there was a lot from her personal life that really meshed well with with that character. You know, her, her, the whole movie she's sort of navigating. I mean, everyone in that movie is constantly performing. They're all telling lies, mm-hmm. and they're all amazing at telling lies, and you're watching her. Um, try to decide between how to manipulate the people around her constantly, like whether through vulnerability or through, you know, coldness. And, and in that movie, it's like the, the, the only thing that separates all the lies from the truth is just how well you deliver it. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's true of her personal life. I mean, again, I don't, you know, I don't know her, but like, just watching her in interviews and stuff that like you just know that she's lying but she's lying so well that you're like okay I'll, I'll i guess i'll take it but i know you're full of shit right is she doing it to protect herself is she doing it just to string people along i mean in the interviews because i've never been able to really understand the read there I've, I've never met her or interviewed her either but as in the you know, it's a herbie fully loaded situation she somehow lets you know what she means even if she doesn't mean it I think she doesn't know the difference. Yeah. I think at that point you're so deep and you don't know the difference between the truth and something you've made up. And I think it's just it's just your whim of the day. Like, mm-hmm. what am I going to reveal? Uh, I don't feel like revealing that. No, I've never smoked this. It's true in that moment for her. Right. So you're just flowing. Yeah. You're, like, you're in the moment and whatever happens, happens. That's what I think. I think that, and, and her energy is just so... Um, you know, I was reading that New York Times Magazine piece again, and um, the, the the journalists keep saying that she's just, there's such a manic, like, chaotic quality about her. Like, every room she enters immediately starts falling into disarray. <laughs> and she, and her, I think he was saying that um, her, what, what he felt like from her, or maybe it was Schrader that said this, that she cannot be alone. That she's constantly, like, looking for people to surround herself with so as to not like be with herself right and i think part of that is like having to confront 
the truth of your life. And when you're with other people, you can just pick out a version of who you want to be and, like, uh, roll. But when you're alone, you can no longer really deny that. Sure. The easiest way to avoid thinking about the wreckage you've left behind is to make more wreckage. Mm-hmm, right? Totally. Just keep, keep churning forward. Yeah. And the idea, too, that she's playing someone who, by the time we meet her, is used up. Mm-hmm. Right? She's already... Her character in the canyons is a husk. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's already finished as whatever it is she wanted to be, and now she's just this sort of girlfriend-slash-companion of James Dean's character, yeah. who is maybe just a recycling of Patrick Bateman, because Brett Easton Ellis <laughs> is comfortable there. But he's he's clearly a, a charming sociopath, somebody who gets what he wants by just not listening to what other people tell him and mm-hmm. never taking no for an answer. Mm-hmm. So she sets him up with her ex for a movie role, and then that reignites their relationship sort of kind of but everybody is just sort of casually using everybody else i don't know if anything happens out of pure desire Mm. or just convenience like it's a way to pass the time well she says in the movie her character tara says um to ryan when they're meeting in that horrible mall (laughs) that's right so much of this movie is like it, it does feel like california to me totally it feels like that new hollywood that like every location i mean the malibu house is amazing but um, that mall and the like West Hollywood house and all those places just seem so bleak. Yeah. But she says to him, um, you know, nobody's happy. What do you even mean? Am I, ha- am I happy? There's no such thing. Um, and I feel like that's true of every, like all the characters in that film. No one's really like, there's an idea of happiness that they're pursuing. Like, Oh, I want to be an actor. I want to, you know, I want to win this role because then that'll lead to A, B and C, but right. really nobody is enjoying themselves. Yeah, nothing. There is, it's it's yeah. I mean that's Brett Easton Ellis's specialty, right? Empty yeah. pl- empty pursuits of pleasure yeah. or pursuits of empty pleasure. I'm not sure how it works, <laughs> but yeah, you're in you're in motion all the time, chasing the next high, and it's never as good as you need it to be. To yeah, make you stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here we also have like the temptation of celebrity, the lure of the movies, and it's stuff that again, by the time we meet Tara, like Lohan is done with it. Mm-hmm. She was no longer interested in chasing an A-list role, she wanted to work with people like Schrader who would challenge her, presumably challenge her, and, and get something out of her she hadn't given before. And then it's so interesting that she almost, like, totally kneecapped that movie. Mm. Like, you know, she, I think they were getting... She was getting paid, like, a hundred bucks a day, I think? Yeah, everyone made it for scale. Right. Right, and they, they raised the money, on for the most part, on Kickstarter, right. I think, and they contributed... I, I know Schrader and Ellis put their own money into it. Yeah, so the producer, so the producer Ellis and Trader each put thirty grand into it, and then which is um, now enough to make a movie entirely. Right, but, totally. Yeah. And then they raised, I think, like almost two hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter. One of the perks was um, for three thousand dollars, you could spend a week working out with Brady Snells and his trainer, <laughs> which seems more like a punishment. Yeah, than a perk. I'm sure someone would want that. But... <laughs> It's a status thing, right? Like yeah. James Dean's character would buy that. Right. He would want that. Totally. And that and and he's the fact that I can make jokes about the character the the like the guy has no Dean has presence, weirdly enough. The character doesn't. The character is a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to I was trying to figure out whether it was almost a challenge for Schrader to cast that guy against someone like Lindsay Lohan, someone who because they both bring a huge history 
with them to this project. And Dean, obviously, he'd come out of, uh, I don't know what the proper term is these days, adult, adult filmmaking, cinema, yeah. porn, whatever you want yeah. to call it. He wasn't known for his acting. He was known for a different sort of performance. And so... I tend to differ there. Okay, please, yeah. Well, I actually think that James Dean is an amazing actor. I think he has a very magnetic presence. I think that his adult films, the thing that they've got going for them is his... I don't want to say acting, because that's not really what I mean, but he is able to conjure a feeling of intimacy in his porn that is super rare, I find. And I think that's why he has such a huge fan base of, you know, mostly adolescent girls. Uh, You know, Tumblr is just packed with, with James Dean. Yeah, I mean... Really, I'm talking, like, teenage girls. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's all these <laughs> Tumblr pages of GIFs of him, like, kissing a girl. Like, just... And it's not, like, the... I, I mean, there are definitely people that are fans of, like, the hardcore stuff. But I think where he has found his base is with is is with how he, you know, creates this in, this feeling of intimacy with another person. And that's really hard to do as a, as a performer. And to be able to do that within, I don't know, 30 minutes of meeting somebody, you have to have something. There has to be something special about you if you're able to create that. Yeah, I have to admit, I was completely ignorant of him until, or before the canyons. Yeah. Uh, I knew, I mean, I knew who he was, mm-hmm. um, but I always sound like such a, a weird, crotchety old man <laughs> when I say this. I don't, I don't watch yeah. porn. I, like, I, I, I can't stand it. I find it. All I do is look at the lighting, and, the, and the, like ever since <laughs> HD came in, it made it even worse. I yeah. can't enjoy even um, the aesthetic of the stuff; just yeah. doesn't do it for me because I just keep thinking, "This looks Why so comfortable, and yeah. yeah, it's hacky." And yeah. I mean, Boogie Nights captured the thing that I can't stand perfectly, which is the self-conscious acting and the, the lack of physical presence. So I guess that's it. My own prejudice is that it's just like can't be any, you can't be good if you came from there. But that's not fair. I, but is I get it? that, and also you know, I I mean, God, I'm not like a I'm, I'm not like I don't love porn, uh, but I love James Dean okay. and I like his porn. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly not like I certainly don't watch it for like the the artistic. Right. And I had to really let go of that because for a while I was like, why doesn't this fucking look better? It's so easy to make something look good these days. Mm. Why does it all look like shit? That's what I mean. It has. To, I, I want. I, if I'm watching anything, I want someone to have cared about it. Totally. And it sounds again. It sounds so square. But I understand. But I think with, with Dean, it's like when you're watching it, there does seem to be like he is the person that brings the care hmm. to the set, and that's why that's why I love him. And I mean, I, like that concern about the like the type of acting that happens in in porn films, like that was uh, you know that was Brad Easton Ellis's concern. Like he didn't want him to be cast. Oh really? For that reason, so he, he was like, you know, he was it. I think it was Ellis that said no, or that didn't want it initially. Um, because it's just like, he, he thought that it wouldn't be possible to break him out of that style of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's really strong in the canyons, and I actually, I've been thinking about, um, I've been thinking about uh, American Gigolo, and how, like, Richard Gere is... He's just not that good. Yeah. And when you're watching that movie, you just want him to be, to 
just have more charm or like it's such a male gaze movie where you're like these none of these women would, women would fall for this guy like he is maybe good looking but he has like for an escort he has just an astounding lack of charm and i kept imagining james dean in that part and i was like i would buy that yeah well and i think that's I think that's what what appeals to him for Schrader mm-hmm. is the unreadability, but the but yeah the empty charisma I guess mm-hmm. of the character, right. not of of Dean himself. Right. But yeah, American Gigolo is one of those fascinating movies that it says so much about where Schrader was as a filmmaker, and you know coming right after ta- or almost right after Taxi Driver, it's just like another movie about God's lonely man and this person who right. is isolated from the world that he lives in and operates in, and I get why he cast gear because at that time the guy was white hot he mm-hmm. was he was an unstoppable force and i could force myself to believe that oh no no they want him because he looks like richard gear not because of any other quality about himself and then it kind of plays for the film if the guy's avoid mm-hmm. then it works but you're right he is lacking in something that would make him a credible version of that character exactly yeah and it, it took a long time before people figured out that gear is at his best when you ask him to play an empty suit, right? Like when he's in on his own joke, right, 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 right. But in that movie, he was supposed to have like dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, we're supposed to care about him. Yeah, and 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 there just there were two dimensions to him, and that was it. Like he could play one or two things, but never like the nuance of it. And um, actually, I think Ellis did want Dean? Dean for the part because now I'm remembering that he wanted to write the script for Fifty Shades. And he oh. wanted to cast, or he, he wanted to write it for James Dean. Um, and I thought that was just brilliant. Hmm. Because I've watched Fifty Shades, and there's just, like, no chemistry <laughs> yeah. between these two people. Well, that movie's afraid of sex. It's afraid like, of that sex. That whole trilogy's I mean, you can't, afraid of sex. It's, it's a really you, creepy... How do you make a movie about sex without well, being terrified of it? Yeah. It's... It's awkward. Uh, I, find, I mean, I like the sequels a little bit more because James Foley made them and he at least understands the concept of tension. And right. it's not that Sam Taylor Wood is a bad filmmaker. I think she's a really fascinating artist, but the combination of the material and having Neil James involved and just saying, well, I want it this way. You can just feel everybody hobbled from the beginning. Exactly. You can feel everybody and you can feel the hand of the studio and you can just feel that it's never going to work out from the beginning because they want to cast these sterile people who who have nothing in common yeah. and and I yeah and I was just picturing James Dean in that part and how you know it it would be appeal to me well certainly based on the canyons I could see him playing someone who is withholding and 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 you know the whole point of Christian Grey is that he won't love right you know like he he wants a marriage contract yeah. and all this stuff but He's all doing it because of his the defenses he's built up for himself. And if you have someone like yeah. Dean who can be impenetrable, based on the canyons yeah. anyway, that works totally. Somebody and then you still want have to get to, and then still have this like possibility of violence. Mm, you yeah. know, that's true. There's really no tension in in the first Fifty Shades anyway, just because yeah, everybody's just trying to be photogenic. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but it it sounded like that entire production is a is a battle between what the material demands, which is just kind of lure it overkill and make it as purple as possible and just let people have fun with it. And that's where Dakota Johnson could have worked because she's 
got amazing comic presence. Like, I have loved her since Ben and Kate, this mm. completely forgotten one season and done, not even finished uh, Fox show with her and Nat Faxon, mm. where she is just this amazing screwball presence who's also funny and sexy and everything mm. else. But when she landed this, it's just like, oh, that could go very badly. Flattened. Yeah, exactly. It's just been, it's it's been, I'm making a, a, a rolling pin uh, impression with my hands. It's just been ground down. Yeah. Um, steamrolled, if if you will. But yeah. Yeah. And just Eric Johnson has some fun with it in the sequels, um, because he's that actor who's just like, well, you know, I'm the I'm the I'm got, I get to be larger than life. I, I'm playing right. a character named Hyde. What the hell? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, just. But I mean, even still, like with the canyons, you know, the, there are so many performances. In fact, most of the performances in that movie are quite bad. Yeah. You know, all the fair. peripheral, like, actors are sort of um, shockingly bad. I mean, it's sort of like you're going into acting class and you're seeing these people not improve week after oh, week. Oh, I see, yeah. That's the feeling I had when I was watching it. I was like, oh, this is... How did they get cast? And um, But it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't... Like, because you have James Dean and you have Lindsay Lohan who who sell it overall, and the rest of the performances, in some ways, like, it, it almost is irrelevant that they're bad. Yeah. Well, it creates a sort of tone, right? Like, this, yeah. this sort of disaffected scenester thing that, that Dean and, and Lohan have going on. Mm-hmm. If the world around them is so flat, then it makes sense that they'd be like this, right? right. It, it feels like a conscious attempt to create the environment. I don't know that it is. I think you're right. I think they're just bad performances. <laughs> but it's who yeah. you get to make a movie on the cheap, right? Like, it's not like they had... I, I get the sense that it's the casting pool that was available to them because they weren't going to pay particularly well, and this whole thing is being done on the fly. Well, I've been thinking about that a lot and just how much of it is self-aware. And I think there are, unfortunately, you know, the people that want to declare it like a self-aware masterpiece, I think, are a bit off track. Mm. Um I think it's a masterpiece, but I don't think it's self-aware. I think, um, to some degree it is, but I certainly think that, like, they didn't want flat performances. Uh, the the main thing that snags for me is that, and I don't know if people come on here choosing movie, like, <laughs> like tearing it apart, but yeah, I do love it. Sure. But there's one thing about it that I really, I think, is the fatal, it's fatal flaw, which is that it looks like shit. Hmm. And I looked up the cinematographer's uh, filmography, and there's just absolutely no evidence of anything that he made that would make Paul Schrader want to hire him, in my opinion. Like, he made a bunch of shorts. He made um, one really cheap-looking thriller, and then he made a bunch more shorts, which is fine, but, like, you're, you know, he was middle-aged at that point, and... He was not like an up and coming guy. No, he was not not an up and coming guy. He was not like a hungry guy. He was not somebody who was, who seemed even up to date in terms of like technology, because it's 2013. Like a lot has changed since then in terms of like what we have access to with a lower budget. But still, there's a way to make that movie look a lot better than it does. Yeah, it has a pretty ugly digital look. Yeah, not HD, but not great either and the tech was there yeah you're right the tech was there was yeah the tech was there they could have made it look much more expensive 
yeah, the, I don't know. There just seems to be even just the way that he framed shots that well, you don't need money for that. You just need to know how to frame a shot. Yeah. And he just puts people against like a blank wall. Oh yeah, that's right. There's a lot of that. There's no depth. Is it isolation? Is it the less than zero thing where you're just trying to literally show people being alone in a world? But I wish it was. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want to make it make sense. Uh, I wish it was. And I, and I kept being like, well, they didn't have money and they didn't have time. But that's not really an excuse anymore. You can do great things with no money and no time and you just move the furniture around and you don't frame people against a, a white wall with like, I don't know, it just seems yeah shocking to me and then also there there are these more ambitious shots uh of just like oh you're like oh they got a dolly track for the day that's good for them (laughs) and even those shots are just i don't know if you remember this part it's when um christian comes home to the malibu house and he's about to confront tara about ryan and there's this long dolly shot of him coming like coming through the driveway, through the walking through the house. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. And the whole thing is like jerky. It's like it's like jerky and 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 bumping and you're like I don't did they not rehearse this? Yeah. It's that nervy handheld thing you do when you're trying to build tension but but not you on have purpose. to yeah, you have to introduce it with intent. Right. There's no intention there. Yeah. That and that's what I love about this movie so much and that's what why I'm so fascinated by it is because you have these, you have Schrader who, you know, God, like... He's a veteran, yeah. Yeah, like, and he just made these decisions that I, I can't, I, I can't fully comprehend. And yet by doing so, by the lack of intention, by the lack of thought behind it, something else emerges that I, I, I want to, like, grab onto and hold with both my hands. Because it's, in some ways, it feels, like, more educational and, like, more truthful than a lot of more technically slick things yeah i mean this is how i feel about um who am i think cassavetes mm-hmm. uh and and weirdly enough i remember that um schrader has had compared Lowen a number of times to jenna rollins yeah. uh, because of coming out the other side of the studio system and being the person she wanted to be who as he described it was infinitely more interesting than the right. starlet version of herself um cassavetes would do stuff to get a response from his actors, he mm-hmm. would be difficult. He would be uncommunicative. He would also be incredibly collaborative and super friendly if he if that served his aim on the day. And every movie of his is this sort of glorious mess where you feel like you've stumbled through the wrong door and you're in the place you shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, um, like thinking of a woman under the influence, which has these just incredible indulgent takes, which lead to something really, really powerful. Yeah. Uh, because you just end up watching what someone's doing with their hands or what Peter Falk is doing with his hat and you realize, oh, it's an anxiety or it's yeah. a, it's it's there for the story as much as it is for the performance. The Canyons feels like they're almost there a lot. I know exactly what you're saying. And I wonder if it isn't because they're waiting for Lowen to show up and so when she gets there, mm-hmm. the energy is so hot and like, we got to get it now. we got to yeah. do this quickly. <laughs> Although you would set up a shot, you'd have time to play with the lighting if that was going on. Yeah, well, there was one moment when she she showed up to set um, very disoriented, and I think some probably some sort of drug was involved, and she missed all her marks. And so Schrader was like, let's do it handheld because she keeps missing her mark, and if you want us to shoot it like the Real Housewives, we're going to shoot it like the Real Housewives. Really? Wow. And that really struck me because 
I really love reality TV. <laughs> okay. And I'm a huge apologist for reality television. <laughs> um, I think that it's dismissed wrongly. I think that it's like seen as this like trashy waste of time, guilty pleasure kind of thing. But I think that um, it has a lot of merit. And um, and when he said that, I was like, oh, that you know, that same the canyon speaks to the same part of me that like loves reality television um that like i just watched temptation island okay yeah i binged it i loved it (laughs) and i was trying to figure out like what is it first of all that i love about reality tv because i had never really put it into like words before and i actually have it until like i am now about to you're young enough that you it's been around you all the time right Mm -hmm. like you've never known it's a recent phenomenon from my perspective but it's always been there right so it's a language you speak. You're a native speaker. Right. So, yeah, please. Yeah. Well, I just think that, like, with with narrative, uh, traditional narrative, there's this um, sort of lie that we're being told, which is that this is the truth. Okay. Uh, and we're sold something, and we buy it as the truth, even though it's fiction. With reality TV, it's just like, you're a little bit removed, but you're like, there's no lie in terms of like, these people are acting because there's a camera on them and they are being changed by the camera as we're watching. Okay. So the presence of the camera changes everything. But in narrative cinema, we're being told that there is no camera. Like there's no, you know what I mean? There's no, so in some ways I feel like it's, in some ways, like, there's something more truthful about it, even though it's all performance. And these people in reality TV, they're they're acting, they're performing what they have seen on television. Right. They're performing what they've seen in porn. Like, they're performing dynamics that they're familiar with from, from narrative, you know, television or whatever. So, I don't know. I just find, like, it captures something about being a person. I capture something about, like, the time we're living in in a way that's just, like, a lot less, um, like, it's not filtered through this, like, hyper-educated, like, white (laughs) male, like, went to UCLA kind of, like, lens, Right, the agreed-upon illusion of of a narrative feature. Exactly. So... I mean, that, and that's pornography as well, right? That's mm-hmm. people pretending to be their best selves or a version of themselves that is sexier and hotter and right. give the audience what they want. So the Canyons kind of disappears that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Because Dean is still sort of... A, you, well, not it's, it's nothing he's doing, but the expectation of the audience is that I will see the, Dean, the James Dean that from that thing that I like. Yeah. Right? And Lohan is... Lohan. Performing, but incapable of, yeah, she's she's <laughs> incapable of not being herself because yes. that's what makes her so interesting as a performer. Exactly. Um, it's like Jessica Chastain. There's incredible range within a, a set of variables that remains the core somehow. I don't know how else to explain it, but there are moments where you sort of connect to the person rather than the persona, yeah. and it always pushes through in, in the best performances. And then everything else around them is so numb that yeah. we have nothing else to look at. So yeah. we're only looking at them. And you're just hyper aware of the fact that they're acting in a movie written by Brett Easton Ellis, mm. directed by Paul Schrader, 
uh, and you know that, you know, five minutes before the sex scene, Lindsay Lohan was in the walk-in closet refusing to come out. <laughs> okay. So, so you know this because you read the article or whatever, and you just, th- there's a removal of that, um, that, that fictional element. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings you, even though it, it technically, like, should throw you out of the illusion, I feel like you get closer. I feel like the the things that end up resonating resonate stronger because of that. Is it because, I mean, do you think it's because so much of Tara's character is about withholding and carrying pain that she won't acknowledge to people that we just assume it's low ends pain? Like it's the same thing? It's, again, you said it, the combination of persona and performer. Yeah. Is that I, it? Like, you you end up looking closer to see what hints you can find? Yeah, I think so. I mean, regardless of, like... Her, yeah, I think for sure. I mean, she she ha- she's a wounded person, you can tell. And she definitely brings that into the, into the character, and it feels resonant in a way that's uncomfortable, because it feels true. And yes, and there's a removal of that suspension of disbelief, so you feel like you're closer, and you're almost like looking at something you shouldn't be allowed to look at. Yeah. It's the thing that Schrader can do, I think, too. I mean, it happens in First Reformed and it happens in Light Sleeper and and Affliction. These Mm -hmm. are movies about people who are in such torment that you don't want to look at them, and yet the whole point of the movie is to look at them. Yeah. And I honestly had not thought about the canyons that way until you brought it up, but Mm. it is the same thing, isn't it? It's not a trapped animal. It's It's a life study. Right. But she's so young and she's so... He's never really... All of Almost all of his protagonists are roughly him, right? Mm, mm-hmm. They get older as the movie goes on. And the, the rare exceptions are things like cat people, mm-hmm. where Nastasia Kinski and Malcolm McDowell are sort of the two sides of, of whatever argument the film is having with itself. Right. And with the canyons, it did feel like a really uncharacteristic thing for him to be doing. And then I saw it, and I still didn't think it worked, but I got it. I understand, like, I know why he made this movie and what he's drawn to. Right. Well, also, it's interesting because it's at such a interesting juncture of his career um, and Bryce Easton Ellis' career where they've really, just in some ways, like, all those shots of the, the cinemas, yeah. the dilapidated cinemas, in some ways, you know, they're saying cinema's dead and this is post-theatrical and... You know, but to me, that was a bit of a cop-out. I'm like, you're trying to rationalize the demise of your own career by saying that cinema is dead. And by, you know, and by... Like, I admire the fact that he was like, I'm just going to go out, do this as a Kickstarter project and, you know, make it for no money. Um, But I feel like... (laughs) I don't know, I feel like the, the lack of... The lack of thought to some degree, is a little bit, like, surprising. You mean the impulse to just jump? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could have very much been Old Man Yells at Cloud, right? Like, it's a... Yeah, it's the the wasteland that they've been left to work in, mm-hmm. I suppose. But, you know, Soderbergh makes those movies all the time. And right. they're in conversation with the changing technology and the way things right. are. And, yeah, The Canyons is really more about... I mean, they want to make a crappy horror movie to make a few bucks, and it's not like he hasn't done that. Mm-hmm. Schrader, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a the thing that's missing from this movie that's in most of his other ones is I think the like 
it's the curiosity about why people do what they do. Yeah. With this, it's just everything's a fait accompli. It's like, yeah, well, these they're right. gonna fuck each other over. Of course they are. What what else is there to do? And that might be Ellis's influence, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely sounds like yeah. something he would say. Yeah. The cynicism and the and the the lack of faith that they'll be able to get better, mm-hmm. that their situations might change, but the people won't improve. That's yeah, that's Ellis. Mm-hmm. No one's ever. No one ever really gets better in his books. Right. Yeah. I I really I really feel like it just narrowly missed that iconic st- like that status of just like cult classic. Yeah. It's weird that it didn't stick around. Um, part of that is probably just the way they released it, which was a quick dump yeah. into, the, into theatrical before VOD, yeah. which was always planned because that's the fastest way to make your money back, apparently. But they also got rejected, right, from all the... Like, yeah. they got famously rejected by South by in, in a publicized way that I think was very painful. Oh, yeah. And Sundance. If, and, and then they played Venice, but out of competition. Right. It had already been released by then, right? Because it, it? it opened here in the summer. Right. So oh, that's I think true. So, yeah, it was just sort of a... Right. Not even a victory lap, but just a, a sort of a, a gentleman's agreement. Yes, of course. <laughs> please, you know, Mr. Schrader, please come. Won't you show us your film? Mm-hmm. I don't... Yeah, I'm still struggling to quantify it even now because there's stuff in it that is hooked me. That there are mm-hmm. things in it that I want to understand more. And I, I'm, I'll watch it again mm-hmm. uh, at some point. I just don't know where it fits in the world. Right? Because it feels I like a relic that. even I now. I love that about it. I love that it doesn't have really a place to sit. I love that the elements are so incongruent. And I love that the, the the sum of its parts doesn't totally ever get there. Like, that, for me, makes it so great. And then, of course, you have scenes that are just, like, in itself really strong. Like, um, despite the terrible cinematography, you, you know, I kind of had to learn to let go of that a little bit because that really was the the part that just, like, I couldn't handle. But, like, that, you know, that famous sex scene of the, you know, the four-way. Right. Um, I just love that scene, and I've never seen that dynamic play out in that way. Like, when she's... I don't know how recently you watched it. It's been a couple of years, yeah. Right. <laughs> but she, you know, she... She asks uh, Christian, her boyfriend, played by James Dean, to make out with this other guy. Yep. And then she asks, you know, she keeps pushing them to do things together. And I've just never seen that before. And how uncomfortable he gets and how, you know, the next day he shows up to therapy and he's like, I felt like an actor. Oh, that's right, because he lost control. I remember that. Like, it's so important to him to control people yeah. in every facet of his life that, again, you're right, he could have absolutely done Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> he totally should have. But, yeah. that He's like, I felt objectified. And it's just such a perfect line, you know? It's just like... And then, in that same scene, she... Because they, they did it in one take. Uh, I don't remember. Did they do that? Well, it, it, it it's cut. Yeah, I but they it, said yeah. that they shot it, it. It was like a fourteen-minute take or something. Okay. Because it was like she was so uncomfortable, and um, you know she yeah that's the, before she locked herself in the closet. Schrader got naked. You remember reading that? I do remember that, and I remember thinking that's uh, you hear stories about people doing that on sets, and I can't imagine it makes anyone any more comfortable. I can't imagine either, but apparently she asked for it. Okay, so she asked for the entire crew to get naked. Apparently. 
And everyone refused except for Schrader. Oh, good for him. <laughs> so he directed the scene naked. <laughs> I guess. And then... See, now my mind is just like, well, you'll know if it's working for him. I don't, I know, know. I don't know. want to think about that. I know. I don't want to think about these but things. But there's a moment in that scene after she pushes James to, to get off, you know, by this other guy. He's super uncomfortable. And she looks straight into the camera. Do you remember this? No, no. She breaks the fourth wall, she looks straight into the camera, and she smiles. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I just love that moment so much because it wasn't planned. She probably thought they would cut around it. Mm -hmm. They did not. She's, it's this moment of like confronting us, watching Lindsay Lohan perform this part in which she has a four-way. She's, you know, it's like you can't, that's what I'm trying to get at when I'm saying like it feels more real and like it's it's like stripped down in that way where like you can't deny that you're watching this right, no, as a movie and it makes you complicit yeah it makes you complicit and also she's telling us she knows mm-hmm. I know I see you watching me is it a positive moment do you think I mean for you as a viewer it feels to me like an empowering moment for her. And so it's a positive experience for me as a viewer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really need to go back and watch it again. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, this is one of those where I just like, damn it, I should have caught up again. I, I, <laughs> I have to own that. I just didn't have time to find it. Yeah, um, well, fair enough. But it's hard to find. It's not, yeah. Um, Blu-ray's got to be out there. I know I had it. Yeah. At Did some you, point. You owned it? Maybe it was, well, you know what? Maybe it was just a, um, one of those digital streaming screeners that you can't hang right. on to. So many of those stupid things in the world where you just, here, watch your, watch our movie as though you had pirated it. Right. With, you know, like with an email address plastered across people's faces. It's just like a piece of paper. Oh, really? Oh yeah. They're the worst. Right. Um, it's the, if, yeah, I'm pretty sure it would have been the service that Mongrel uses mm-hmm. for their, for their screeners, which is just, it's it's no good at all. It's just, I mean, we're in a room with a 120 inch screen and a projector and the, uh, the acrobatics required to get a film to play that way through a laptop into the receiver onto this. It's just, it looks like crap. And I, I have begged people to use better systems, but yeah, you know, the Vimeo app works with the Apple TV. It looks great. Right. But if anyone's listening, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was not the optimal presentation for the canyons and I, I, I get it. definitely saw it again. So I must have had the DVD or the Blu-ray at some point. Right. But I looked and I don't have it now. I should really f- get my hands on a copy. I wonder if someone borrowed it. Yeah, I would just love to... I would love to... F- yeah, because I really just have it. I just torrented it. <laughs> Blu-ray will be better. Yeah. I mean, it, it won't... It's not going to look gorgeous. No. That movie never will. That movie will never look gorgeous. And in some ways, like, it, it's probably meant to be watched on a smaller screen. Mm-hmm. I think projected onto a big screen, you'd just be cringing the entire time. (laughs) It's still part of the intention, right? I think it wants you to be uncomfortable. That's the question that I can't answer. Did he do it on purpose? I feel like no. Mm. I feel like that was the part where it wasn't intentional. I don't think the trader's capable of saying, I want this movie to look like like terrible. I don't Mm. think he would set out to do that. And I think it's actually an incredible sort of achievement that he was able to make it look so bad. 
Because it doesn't, it doesn't check out completely. Yeah. No, you're right. He does play with form sometimes. I mean, the first reform looks the way it does on purpose. It's yeah. got this sort of liquid yeah. harshness to it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. He said it was just a setting that they showed him on the first day and he fell in love with. And I could sort of see, make it look like what I think a bad movie looks like, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like that either. Too no, much of it has... It's not yeah. intentional enough even in its badness that you can say, like, that was planned, you know? So it's, yeah, it's it's surprising. So I feel like it's a movie that you could watch on your laptop and be, you know, content sort of watching it mm. <laughs> on a small screen. Yeah, I wish I'd seen it in the theater now. <sighs> that would have been... Maybe we'll get Tiff to do a, a Shredder retrospective and bring it back. <sighs> if nothing else, just for, you know, there's, there's a bunch of his movies that don't get screened often enough. I actually am not super familiar, like, with... Obviously, I know the big movies, but I haven't seen Affliction. I haven't seen Lightwalker. Or Lights... What is it? Light Sleeper. Light Sleeper. Light Sleeper. Which is kind of the sequel to Taxi Driver, in a way. Right. In a weird way. It's... Willem Dafoe is a drug runner who's um, just starting to age out of viability and kind of confronting who he is and who he thought he was going to be. Right. It's... It's pretty intense. It's yeah. It's yeah, and it's one of those perfectly seamy New York movies shot on film in 1992 that just looks just grimy all over. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty good. I mean, if if I keep feeling like if that if the Canyons were shot on film, it would be so good. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be like underlit and weirdly timed it's and so underlit. Yeah, the lighting is insane. Like, uh it's just because I, I watched it again last night and it was just like I couldn't. Certain scenes were just... I didn't understand how anybody could let this fly. Hmm. James Dean's body lit from below his neck, his face completely in the shadows. Not on purpose. (laughs) 100% not on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I just... I remember... When I'm picturing it in my head, I picture only the stills that were circulated because I can't coherently assemble the movie in my brain. What did you think of the soundtrack? Oh, the Brendan Cannon uh, soundtrack. I... That I didn't mind. I mean, I think I think it works for a better movie. It makes you think the film has more depth than is currently present. Mm. It's it's kind of slippery and and agitated in a way that I I really like. Mm-hmm. It's not too far removed from. Like, I don't know how it would sound on its own. It's one of those things mm. where if you played it by itself, it might just be tones. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it's yearning for something. Mm-hmm. That, it, that it can't have. If right. that makes any sense. <laughs> and maybe that's just coherence. Yeah. But, yeah. I I mean, shout out to Brennan because he's great. And I, you know, I was... I was watching it kind of thinking about what... All the things that they could have done differently to, to have it maybe make more of an impact. Mm. On the cultural psyche. Right. And the soundtrack was one of those things where I was like, I wonder what would have happened if they'd gone into, like, a completely different direction. What would be well, appropriate? What, yeah, what kind of score do you think that it calls for? I mean, you could do the De Palma thing and layer in a Baroque musical score where everything is so heightened and obviously, like, big and, and urgent and nervy. You could do pop songs from people who had faded away to maybe just disconnect the world a bit more. I don't know. There, there are ways, because the material is so 
amorphous that it could be tilted in the direction of like a big thriller yeah. or even a sort of a really Jim Jarmuschy sort of thing, like a, a yeah. the dryness of the score offsetting the emptiness of the movie. I don't know. Yeah, yeah there, where would it you could go? have gone. Well, I mean, they were setting out to make a noir, right? Which feels well, like it. Why yeah. not embrace that? Why don't you go more like Bernard and Herman, like or something? You know, I don't yeah, know. Like Cape Fear I mean, horns, that kind of thing. What the Cape Fear horns? Yeah, that, that kind, of kind of thing. I mean, that could have been really would have been very different, and it would have maybe not worked so much with the cinematography that you already have. <laughs> But I don't know if they had embraced that a little bit more because that's what Brady Snell's wrote. He wrote a modern noir. There's a spy in it, you know? Yeah, There's a murder, which we haven't even talked about. Yeah. <laughs> How do you even address the murder? It happens. It happens. It's clearly there for a reason. It seems like the least important part of the movie. Yeah, it really does. It's just not crucial to anyone else's life and maybe that's the point like it's Brady Stanella is just going eh why not it would happen I think he's trying to anchor the narrative you know on that mm-hmm. which doesn't work it's not about the murder it's not about what happened it's it, it like it's sort of like a failed device, I think, that he's trying to employ. And Schrader certainly doesn't care about it that much. <laughs> yeah, no, it kind of blows past it. <laughs> he totally blows past it. It's, it takes 30 seconds, and then we've moved on. Yeah. And you're like, I don't even know why that happened. There's no reason for that to happen. Cost of doing business? I mean, maybe that's it. Some kind of weird commentary Marketing? on... Marketing? Yeah, I don't know. Cost of maybe right. We need somebody to yeah. We need something sexy, murdery in the uh, in the last reel. Let's do that. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, but you know, seeing as that that's what it was supposed to be, you would sort of think like that. More care would have been taken with like that device, the person, the spying person, who's just like wearing a backwards baseball cap and like baggy jeans and looks like he's out of like a weird 90s movie Mm -hmm. who is like no place in this (laughs) movie at all and it's just following them around like on his flip phone which also why are they all having why do they all have flip phones yeah i was trying to remember the one thing that struck me was like is this supposed to be a reference to lowen's past is this something about how she was really popular in that era when people looked like that. I think and you're then, really reading it into well, no, too much. Well, <laughs> no, exactly. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. But there's no evidence against it either because eh, it's yeah. just there. It's just but there. yeah, no, it's... Yeah, you're right. None of it makes any real sense. Yeah. it. I, I just... I. But that's, again, like that is what I find so incredible about it because you have these people that are individually just like masters or were masters at a certain point and they're just like making these decisions that just don't you know totally check out and yet at the end you have this result that says something different than what they had intended i believe but it certainly like for me resonates on so many levels right you want to understand it better i want to understand it better and really until you know, we had made plans to do this, I always was saying to people how much I loved it, and I could never really articulate why. It was just one of those movies, I was like, I don't know why, but I just love it. I love Lindsay Lohan, I love, you know, I, and and I love James Dean, and I just couldn't figure out, like, the 
confluence of of things that made it good. So I'm 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 grateful for this. Yes, so now we wrestled through it. <laughs> yeah, and I am happy to help. Yeah, that's what I do. Uh, but yeah. but yeah, to the to that end that uh, that we've broken it down and put it back together again as best we can. Is there anything from the canyons that you yourself have? used or borrowed or stolen or lifted something aesthetic something in performance in, in your own work oh huh that's a good question i am endlessly fascinated by this this is why the podcast exists yeah i think i mean it's interesting because i definitely sense that you dislike the movie i don't care for it um yeah. i did not care for it i i mean i've seen it twice it means that there's something to it right but, yeah, no, I'm not... It's not the first thing I would point to in, in the Schrader canon of stuff that you absolutely have to see. Right, But, right. Um, you know, having talked about it for an hour, yeah, I, yeah. I want to see it again. And, you know, I, I read... I was trying to look for um, positive reviews because it's got 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, I Oof. think. But some people liked it. I remember there were a couple of positive reviews. Some people liked it. I was just looking for it. Um, Richard Brody really liked it. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, a couple other people, I can't remember who, but not very many liked it. <laughs> and, you know, it really made me, because after a certain point of people like telling you that they don't like something that you like, you start to wonder. Sure, yeah. You're like, am I, like, is it really bad? Like, what is it? You know, am I mistaken? And and I had to really kind of stop myself from doing that and just be like, no, I love it. And I'm going to like try to figure out why. <laughs> and the thing that I think I've taken from it, or maybe it's not that I've taken it from this movie. It's more that it's something I've already been doing that I see being done in that film that I enjoy. Is just there's a bleakness to the world um, it's not really about plot. It's not even really about the characters. It's just about the world, the the view, this view of the world mm -hmm. in a certain way. And there's this bleakness to it that I think resonates with me. I'm not a pessimistic person in my life, or at least I try not to be via like a decade of therapy. <laughs> um, but I, I think I'm quite pessimistic in the art that I create. And um, I'm interested in, in quote-unquote unlikable characters, people that I would never want to spend time with in real life. I, I enjoy writing characters like that, and I enjoy spending time with them on the page or on screen. And, and that movie really does that well. And there's also like um, a very unromantic way of looking at sex. Yeah that I'm interested in and sort of even though you have literal porn stars and like a you know a person like Lindsay Lohan who's been on Playboy you know have you see them having sex and yet there's nothing less sexy than watching them together right it's off-putting it's cringeworthy you don't want to watch and I find that really interesting yeah, this is the thing you're supposed to want. We're going to make it as unpleasant and awkward and and uh, incongruous as possible. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's kind of what I'm what I'm striving to do. I think 
I try to be a bit more intentional with my humor in my work right. because the canyons is funny, but not on purpose. Right. You want to communicate that more clearly. Yeah. I think that there has to just be like a little bit more, um, self-awareness, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, your short film is about a young woman figuring out what she does and doesn't want from the world, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. very much in conversation with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was. I mean, I was struck by it just at the at, at the festival, just thinking, oh yeah, okay, people are talking about this without words. People, you know, like it's it's a it's it's a how can I put it? It's an experiential portrait of someone uh, finding out who she is ultimately, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what it's that's what it is on the surface and then the, the deeper you go the more there is to it because that's how people are yeah and the canyons kind of just says there is nowhere to go there's just this surface that everybody's trapped in yeah and these are the sacrifices they've made to become people who can thrive in that world yeah so yeah i think the canyons is more pessimistic than your stuff so far yeah i think you're right i think you're right but yeah. i think that is the part that that draws me to it it's this like very um bleak view of the world and it's it's the it's the confluence of, of Brett East Nellis's way of, of of dealing with like empty Hollywood you know vessels and and traitor but I think yeah I definitely try to have I think the sense of humor is the thing that really like um that that I'm trying to cultivate that will set it apart a little bit from just being mm. so dark yeah. You know? Well, I get the sense that your stuff will make me want to know why they are who they are. Right. As opposed to the Kenyans, which just says, this is why they are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Keeping the mystery alive. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you for that. Because it makes movies more interesting. <laughs> thank you. My thanks to Sophia Banzaf, whose short film, I Am In The World, As Free And Slender As A Deer On A Plane, is screening in Toronto this Sunday, January 26th, at 4 p.m. at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. It's very good, and you should see it. Sophia will be there and everything. And keep an eye out for Black Conflicts, coming to theaters later this spring. It's also very good. You can find Sophia on Twitter at YoungFifi, Y-U-N-G-F-I-F-I, all one word. And you can find The Canyons on Blu-ray and DVD from Mongrel Media in Canada. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year... If you like it, or the show in general, say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're pretty good. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. See you next week.